0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode, which is episode 147 of the Lighthouse Educator Development podcast, which was formerly known as the LED Project podcast, but we feel like we need to uh, do a little bit better uh, with the branding. The LED Project sometimes could be confused with light bulbs, so we're, we're trying to use our full uh, nonprofit name, Lighthouse Educator Development. My name is Kyle Krieger. Uh, thanks for tuning in. It's been a crazy ride as we approach our 150th episode coming up here in the next couple weeks. But we thank you for tuning in. If you're listening to this podcast, you're hopefully an educator, or someone close to educator, or someone with stake in education that wants to hear stories of teachers who are out there doing it, who are adding value to themselves, adding value to their craft. And, and this episode is no different with our friend John Rodney. John um, who teaches in Burbank lives in L.A. But uh, really cool story, really good dude. Um, talking about the the kind of random happenstance I got him from Maine to L.A. and and the work he's doing in the schools out there and and how he is really doing a job when it comes to cultural relevancy with his kids. So um, we hope you enjoyed this uh, episode with John. If you want to follow him on Instagram, he is teacher. To T O teacher, um, he's out there doing really good things. So please do that. Uh, if you're enjoying this podcast, subscribe, leave us a review, share it, and we would appreciate it. But uh, as always, thanks for tuning into the podcast. This is episode 146, and pretty pumped to have uh, John Rodney on the podcast. John, how are you, bud? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Good. We were just talking a little bit uh, about weather in in SoCal where you are. It's raining and people don't know what to do and me in Wisconsin just coming off of the negative 55 below so uh yeah we're doing good man but I appreciate you taking some time on this uh Saturday afternoon yeah happy to be here yeah yeah so so do people like I'm still interested in in this LA thing so when it rains do people just like stay inside like they don't even know what to do
1: um the the you know we're used to being outside all of the time you know our farmers markets or just going out and sitting outside eating so it does put a damper on some of the outside life and some because it is so sunny um there's never an excuse to stay inside right there's no excuse it is a beautiful sunny day so when it does rain a lot of people kind of bundle up or go see movies and just kind of stick inside and are able to have a lazy day and not right. feel completely guilty about it they're like oh we were gonna go hiking I guess we'll just watch a movie on the couch uh and it's not too terrible you know we're like oh thank god you know these days are so needed every once in a while
0: yeah yeah That that's kind of the way a lot of people here felt it was just like an excuse not to you know like just sit around watch Netflix and I mean it's it was crazy like I went out a few times just for a few minutes and but I mean, you could tell it's like it's to a point where like you you just can't like even fathom how cold it actually is.
1: It's yeah. Just, I'm, a, I'm originally from Maine, and we haven't drawn. I mean, I haven't been in that cold right. of weather for a really long time. But just remembering how cold it is. Right. I mean it was uncomfortable. Like you, you say you maybe you curse a little bit to yourself because it's so cold or you have to like right. you you have to run to the car to turn it on then run back inside just to let it warm up for twenty minutes so that mm-hmm. once you get in there you're not freezing. Yeah, I cannot imagine what people are going through with all these low temperatures.
0: Yeah, you know, it was funny. We were talking about Instagram stuff earlier and I was reminded of Fletcher Nelson. I was following him and he he posted uh on his story like a grocery store and it was just like empty. Like they yeah, had taken yeah. every they had taken everything off and he had like seven random things and I was just like, oh
1: Yeah, I think I saw this too and I think it, the caption was like I guess I should have come a little bit earlier, or something like this. Yeah, yeah for sure. For <laughs> I was sure. like, "What is going on? Is it the apocalypse?" I was. Then I was like, "Oh no, they're just prepping for like this freezing cold weather and not going out for a long time." Right.
0: So, so when did you make the move from Maine to LA?
1: Um, it was probably about two years after college. Uh, I moved to LA, and I've been here for a little over ten years. I I kind of lose track. Uh, probably like. Maybe 11 years. Uh, yeah, I was. <laughs> I mean, you just kind of lose track. You're like, what year was it? What age? Right. But it was about two, was a year or two out of college. And then I, I came to LA. Um, I actually was bartending in a small uh, town over summer because uh, I'm from Maine. And so, you know, we have right. coastal towns and everyone right. comes during the summer. Uh, Maine's called Vacation Land because it's right. just the way life should be. That's our slogan. And um, I met a principal on vacation from Los Angeles. And in this little small town, people just kind of wake up. They go to brunch. They go to the beach. They uh, go home. They rest the, at the hotel. And they come out for dinner and drinks in the night out. And they just fall asleep and repeat that process all over again. Uh, so if you're staying there a week, you do kind of get to know the people who are visiting for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, this uh, principal was friends with a townie. And so they would just, like, come in and come in, and I was bartending and I was waitering uh, during the summer after um, uh, college. And he was just like, you have good energy, because we had talked about education, we talked about all these things right. before. He's like, if ever you're interested in coming to L.A., reach out to me. Um, I can introduce you to people and, you know, English department uh, heads, and, you know, if you're interested, you know, that might be a place for you. And I never considered coming to LA. Like I watched what The Hills and like all these things on uh, MTV. Oh man, and now we're like, now oh. we're
0: dating. Now we're totally dating oh, no, ourselves. Man. That we're talking about The Hills and Laguna Beach. Some
1: of the, uh, some of the older teachers would be like, "Yes." Um, yeah. uh-huh. but, uh, you know, it's just like this place on TV that I never imagined going to. And then um, I took a year position uh, in a fourth grade classroom as a an aide to two teachers, and I helped uh, them out with uh, a certain subgroup of kids who needed help in math and uh, English. And so I got my, like, that was a great foundational opportunity for me. And then afterwards um, this principal had reached out to me and said, hey, I remember you. I'm not sure if you are interested, but there, I have a bunch of turnover this year in my English department, you, you might want to apply. So there it is for you, for you to do whatever you want with. And then so I did. And then I ended up getting a position at the high school. And that was my kind of launch or jump into LA. I mean, it was pretty crazy. I grew up on a farm. So like going from a farm to LA, I was scared to drive for the first six months uh, in the city.
0: <laughs> oh, man. You know, I'm I'm small town Wisconsin. And then I, my first teaching job was in Houston. And I felt the same way about driving like down there. You, you don't get to use the brake. you got to use the gas all the time. All the time you get run over. So, man, that's like – No, go
1: ahead.
0: I was just going to say, that's like legitimately like corner to corner of the United States. Like you can't go much farther than, than L.A.
1: and Maine. Yeah, my mom was not particularly happy. She was like, could you get any further away from me? Um, and I was like, ma, it's not personal. This is just an exciting adventure. Right. Um, yeah, coming into LA for the very first time and seeing like five, six lanes of traffic all merging as people are going, uh, coming home, rush hour. I, I was with a friend, I had to pull over the car and they had to take over. I was like, I can't do it. I'm too, like, I'm gonna crash, What is happening. Like, legit, I was overwhelmed. And I'm, like, seeing Disney in the background, um, you know, and I'm, like, what is happening?
0: Oh, my gosh. I went – I I was in Anaheim once in college for a conference. And then I was just – in the fall of 2017, I was in L.A. for one of the Summit Series events. And I was just, like, oh, my God, L.A. is, like – I mean, and I I, I had lived in Houston eight years at the time. You know, I I had – but L.A. is just, like, it's a whole nother animal like downtown LA. It is, it's bonkers.
1: Yeah. I mean, traffic in LA is bad everywhere. I mean, we I mean, everyone, that's the one thing people like to talk about, like the traffic in LA. Um, so you definitely have to get used to it. I kind of learned L.A. piece by piece by piece being like, okay, where is the grocery store? Where is there a Target? Where is there a Walmart? Okay, go to these places. And then from there, like, I just kept on learning a little bit more, a little bit more. But if you asked me to go anywhere for fun for the first, like, six months, I was like, no, I can't do it. Someone else needs to drive.
0: Right, you know, and I think it's so funny because I think teachers who relocate, like, especially – you know where i was in houston and i'm and i'm living back close to home now but like they recruited from the dakotas like around through iowa minnesota wisconsin uh, indiana ohio michigan so there were like thousands of us down there that were teaching from those places and and i think your experience like you just described in my experience is like how many thousands of teachers go through that every year when they move to a new place especially when they move to like our experience i mean like how many people were in your hometown
1: i don't even know like super small amount like
0: yeah see like mine was like mine's like 2200 so like
1: oh dang that is small i mean don't get me wrong mine is probably smaller yeah but i have no idea i would have to look it up
0: but i mean like that culture shock from like going to you know being in in small town to to la i'm interested to ask you though like how did you you know besides like meeting people how did you overcome that kind of newness because I think that's something that a lot of teachers would really you know would fear about going to a new place is like learning all those things but also that's like a really good piece of advice because we know that there are teachers that are getting relocated every single year like they're going from these small town places to these urban areas because that's where the jobs are
1: yeah um I don't really know I mean I feel like I'm trying to think of like, look. I was very fortunate that the year that I entered into the high school that I taught at, Mm -hmm. um, there was like twenty. I don't want to say twenty, about twenty-ish new teachers. Right. New teachers, and we're all like within the same age bracket, Um, and a lot of people were in my department, and so just because we were all brand new, we all kind of bonded together, and then some of them were local, and then some of them were brand new to this area. I actually. the first year that I was in L.A., I rented, for the first two years I was in L.A., I roommated with a guy at my high school who was from Colorado, who was teaching science, who started the same year that I did. And we rented from a math teacher who was also a landlord. <laughs> so it was just like, you know, at least, you know, and so I think that together through these people having get togethers, you know, it exposed me to uh, different parts of L.A., um Back then, uh you saw to use like MapQuest and print your directions.
0: No, <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Don't date us even farther. Oh, I'm
1: sorry.
0: I'm sorry. Oh. I know people- <laughs> Map. Oh, my God. I haven't heard MapQuest. When you like had actually had to have the person in the passenger seat next to you like read you the directions and like pay attention, like you got to turn here. Oh my God.
1: Yeah. The- when I moved to turn. LA, I drove a stick, and um, I because I was I grew up on a stick. I was like, yeah, I drive a stick, and they, I got lost. And so I literally had to call my roommate up, be like, hey, I'm on the highway. I do not know where I am. He's like, what are you by? And I'm like, I think I'm by this place. And he's like, okay, this is where we're going to get you. And so he literally had to read me the MapQuest direction. He was like my own personal Surrey for like 20 minutes as he got me back to where I needed to be. And the next day I woke up and I was like, why are my legs sore i didn't work out legs yesterday i don't get it and it was like the constant stop and go of being in in la traffic lost (laughs) that my my calves were so sore i was like what (laughs) um but i i honestly think just like biting the bullet and kind of taking these risks and befriending people who are local or who can recommend places and then just going piece by piece by piece and get that getting that comfortability um And then just kind of building off from there and find out like where your communities are where the places you want to hang are and then from there you'll be exposed to more and more
0: so maybe aside from teaching did you have trouble adjusting to the diverse i mean because like la is a super super diverse city
1: did you ever have
0: have trouble adjusting and really because like there it took me a long time in houston to feel comfortable like because i lived out in the suburbs but there was, I mean, like, there was so much fun stuff to do in the city. I would go down there. It, t- it probably took me a year or two to really feel comfortable in the city, like, walking around being like, these are just people. Like, these are cool people that are out. And, and part of it was, you know, like, I didn't grow up with people of color. Like, there was really no one that was ever really in my orbit. I mean, there were, like, a handful of people I knew in college that I was friends with. Um, but, you know, going down there, really trying to, to learn and grow that. Did you have a trouble adjusting to that?
1: Um I don't think that I did but I think that it was a learning curve a little bit of because where I did grow up it was predominantly white um but I and I don't know why I I mean you know I'm trying to think about this I just was you know there I feel like that I was just very like grab as many people and pull them close as possible and it didn't matter uh, anything um and so I think that I slowly, as I was getting, and just concentrating my first year of teaching, like literally that was it. And if someone was going to help me or be a part of that world, I was like, you're in, let's do this. And so maybe I was a little self-centered to even like consider what was happening as it but these people were just coming in and my co-workers were all you know different people like we had people from armenia there's a large latino population there is uh african-american population there's um you know asian americans there's just like all these diverse people and they're just here they're just looking at me like hey how can we help you and i'm like thank you so much and so through right. that i didn't even think that i noticed anything like that but there were some like cultural learning moments where i was like oh i need to remember this um, I grew up on macaroni and cheese. <laughs> I grew up on macaroni and cheese, and uh, you know, <laughs> you know, like a single mom, not a ton of money. Macaroni and cheese was a right. staple. And right. so, when I went to LA, and I was teaching in my classroom, and I've taught on two different sides of my community. I used to teach at the high school on one side of the town, and now I teach at a middle school on the other side of the town. And the demographics are really different. And so, my when I started. We had like a huge Latino population at my school. It was like 40% white, 40% Latino, and then 20% other ethnicities. Um, and then, so I'm going in there and I'm like talking about food or trying to illustrate a point. And they were basically, I was like, you know, when your mom makes that awesome macaroni and cheese and you're super excited about this, <laughs> blank face, just blank face. And eventually, this girl, Janet, she came up to me at the end of class and she was like, Mr. Rodney. I think you need to get a new example. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, we don't eat macaroni and cheese. And I was like, what should I? She was like, beans. But like, like we we beans, like we want beans, like refried beans. We get, you know, quesadillas, like all these types of things. Like right. this, these are the things our moms are making for us. And I was like, right. thank you. Good to know. And it was just like a, a real learning experience to be like, oh, there are these cultural things like, foods are different um practices are different um and just like uh the things the struggles that they face are uh, different and so i think that it was just super interesting even something as small like that's one of my favorite stories that i remember that i need to be not aware of my own experience that's going to connect with them but like what what are their experiences to make me more accessible to them to make the content of my stuff more accessible to them um it, yeah and that happened during the first year and I was like oh and I always remember that so now that I teach an armenian population uh when i'm like oh you know so when your mom makes doma or horovads which is like armenian barbecue the kids mm-hmm. just like like yeah we love horovads you know and they're yeah. super excited that i'm recognizing their culture i'm recognizing yeah. food that they love that is in you know surrounded with family tradition uh yeah. they get super excited
0: yeah, you know, I mean, and that's at my schools that I taught at were like ninety one percent Hispanic. So, like for me, I couldn't contemplate the idea of the quinceanera. I was like, it blew my mind that they would spend hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars on this party for. And you know, the first few times I got invited, you know, coming from a small town, I'm like, is this something I should do? And then the other teachers are like, if you get invited, you should go. I mean, because that's yeah. it's like a huge, huge honor if a student invites you to their quinceanera. So, you know, those, those cultural things too. But I mean, with, with my Hispanic kids, I mean, predominantly they were title one. So I really, I had a hard time learning and understanding what they were going through on the day to day in terms of just having places to live, having food on the table and those type of things. So I was really, like you said, the, the cultural learning curve, I think was huge. And I was just in Houston in November and we drove like right, through the neighborhood where i used to teach and i just had this overwhelming feeling like god if i could go back now knowing what i know and understanding how to like connect with their culture it would have been such a different experience but are is armenian considered middle eastern or is that eastern european
1: uh i don't want (laughs) to i i don't want to like i don't necessarily i feel like it's more because, I mean, they always talk about how some uh, groups of uh, Armenians are East uh, Persian Armenian and some are Russian Armenian. Right. right. So I'm not sure. Because it's right.
0: It's, it's right. If I know my. It's like right there where it could be borderline, sort of either one.
1: Like I'm it's just right talking geographically. It's, yeah. It's right by Turkey.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I guess my. Do, do they. I'm trying to think of the right. I mean do they do people confuse Armenians for being middle eastern do they get lumped into that or or where you are is it pretty pretty clear you know It's
1: per, I mean it's pretty clear I mean I, if you were not so when i first moved to LA and i had i taught on the one side of Burbank that was more latino and white um i mm-hmm. didn't know what armenian i didn't know what i didn't know where armenia was i don't think i'd ever right. heard of the country and i didn't know what a Like I didn't know anything about this. All I knew was that I had this one kid whose name was David in my class with uh, with a last name that started with K, and I had trouble pronouncing it, so I had to work really, really hard to learn how to say it, and eventually one day, I said, David, where are you from? Like, where is your family originally from? Because he had a slight accent, Mm -hmm. and he was like, I'm Armenian, and I had to say, Armenia, what? And this boy was so sweet, he was so proud of his heritage that he reached out and he like educated me about Armenia, Armenians, the culture, the food, the um, the fight that they have on their hands, even now to have their genocide recognized, uh, so right. Right. Um, he really took me to this, this boy, David, I mean, he was really, really awesome in educating me and helping me understand all of this, and so where I am from. Uh, Now uh, it is—it's one of the highest. No, it. I think it is the highest Armenian population concentration of population. uh, Armenian population outside of Armenia.
0: Is in L.A. Right?
1: Yeah, it's in L.A. And so, like, I think it started off originally in Hollywood, and there's a part of Hollywood called Little Armenia, and then it uh, went to Glendale, and then now in Burbank in North Hollywood, and it's just like in this general area where there's a large population of Armenians. And so people kind of just know uh, that you are probably, you know, people just kind of know that you're Armenian and that's probably the default. And then from there it's others. It's not like um, others and then Armenian.
0: Right. Right. I mean, and that's just, I was surprised when, you know, we were talking back and forth before I had never really, I have never really talked to someone, talked to someone that had taught Armenian kids. Um, oh yeah. So I was just interested, and and that's like I, I like I'm trying to ask an honest question, like I I because I know it's kind of right there in that sort of Eastern European block, but I mean, what other? So what has the difference been between teaching you know like in in a uh, Hispanic and mostly white high school, and then teaching the Armenian Armenian kids? Is there is there a real difference between the two?
1: Um yes um so it, it so it's kind of unfair just to how do i say it it's kind of unfair to pinpoint and say it's it's solely the culture cuz it's also oh, socioe- yeah, yeah so it's also the socioeconomic so in right. one part of uh the place where i teach it is a kind of a lower income and then the other part is a little bit more um Affluent um, for the area, and of course, I recognize that it's not always. You know, yeah, during, you're um, not
0: making generalizations either. Yeah,
1: yeah. But so with um, the Hispanic population in the community that I teach, um, they, I don't know, like there is a difference. Um, the and just taking a look at the two high schools in the community that I teach, one is very like so I also teach at uh, an adult school and so I also teach at an adult school and when I first started teaching at the adult school the I taught an English uh, recovery class so these were high school students who were messed up along the way or they want uh, a better grade than they got and so they're able to take this three-hour class once a week for 17 weeks or whatever to get a credit recovery Mm -hmm. and I taught freshmen my first two years that I was in education, and so I recognized this kid uh, in this class. He he attended the the first high school I was at, and so but I hadn't seen him for years. So he showed up his senior year in this adult education course to try to fix one of the classes so that he could graduate on time. Right. And I said, Hey, I remember you from ninth grade. Um, you know, you, you took health from my next door neighbor and, and, you know, I saw you all around. Well, where did, what happened? I didn't see you after that year. He's like, Oh, I transferred to the other high school, which is the the more Armenian high school. And I I said, Oh, so what is it like? Cause I always am wondering like, what is our high school that I, I taught at like or different than the other high school? And he said, okay, well, the other high school you teach at, is kind of like Disney everyone's kind of happy everyone follows instructions uh everything is like like clockwork and then the other school it's a little bit more like you have more freedom as a kid you can wear your hat uh you can you know all of these types of things but it's a little bit you know a little bit rougher because the like there is so much freedom um and so just kind of like, it's, so, it's just sort of interesting to see like this kid who had experienced both high schools, say like one was a little bit of like, really kind of like, um, the traditional. kids were really tra- traditional, obedient, right. these of things where the other one, there were, so, it was a little bit of a rougher experience because there was more freedom. And yeah. when there were rules in place, things were kind of pushed back upon. Mm. And so it's just really kind of interesting. Um, the Armenian popul- like the Armenian community is so generous and wonderful that any time that I talk about them, they are so appreciative of the positive words that I say and sharing their culture to people who are not normally exposed to them. Uh, they, um, they love sharing their food. They love sharing their music. They love sharing their yeah. language. The kids are always looking to teach me new words. Uh, and the parents are super generous too.
0: Hmm. I-, I do want to ask, it were was your were your schools a part of the the strikes or were you out on the periphery of the strikes recently so I,
1: I actually i live in l a um but um I'm not a part of those strikes so no. Did you yeah, so mean? I, I, I did uh, that Red for Ed. I publicized right. it on my Instagram. I did all of these things, but um, I was not a part of them. We had members in our community who donated money uh, to right. um, members of our teaching community who donated money to. Uh, right like give Starbucks to these teachers so they, and food and get that delivered. Right. Yeah, and people sign up for that, but um, and to deliver to them, uh, as well as tro- some people were able to join the strikes, um, but it did not personally affect us uh, in this one time. However, I do feel like it, you know, it helped um, a lot of people because it did kind of bring about this idea of like, look at what a uni can do, look how powerful it is right. and bring attention to education in general.
0: So you, do, so you do think it is, I mean, I, looking from the outside in, you know, it's, it's hard to see, but you do think it is starting to make a difference. Cause I talked to Amanda Tooley, who was, you know, in the middle of it right before and she was just. Tell me, and I was just like the the stuff that she was saying about how schools don't have full time nurses or full time counselors. You know, they're getting counselors and nurses one to two days a week. They've got forty six kids in classrooms, and I was just like, "Oh my goodness, that's it's crazy to think that that's the situation they have."
1: I mean, it's hard. I mean, I'm not a part of LA and Unified, and so it's hard to know the struggles that they have. I mean, it's really just kind of unusual. I mean, the system is kind of an interesting thing about like how money is distributed. You have some schools in LA, some parts of LA that have a lot of money and they are able to do some amazing things. And then you have the other parts of LA, um, that are in want and in need of like these real necessities. Um, and so I don't know how to, I mean, I don't know how one would go about fixing that other than to, figure out how to redistribute money more evenly without taking away from people that have been benefiting from a lot over the years and giving to those who have like i'm not sure how that happens but i feel like just the i mean teaching uh has been vilified for quite a while every time i turn on the news and like another teacher doing something bad i'm like oh I feel so bad for this child that has, you know, had something wrong done to them at the hands of a teacher. But then right. at the same time, I'm like, teacher, you are not doing anything from my profession because of course the media is going to portray this and play that again. And it's just going to reinforce these negative ideas about what teachers have. Um, teacher kids and grow up to be adults and these adults make decisions based upon their perceptions of what teaching right. Was as a kid, and they, right. they only—that's their last interaction with teaching, um, and so that's not the truth, you know. Like of all the hats that teachers wear, they don't see what right. happens behind the scenes, and so right. they're voting on budgets or they're, you know, based upon their childhood memory of it, or you know. Right. And so it's just really interesting that right. that that this is our current situation.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it could be really like given a better example than around Halloween when you had the teachers in Idaho who did the Mexican Uh, people and the wall. And I was just, it's just, it's so like, at what point do you, I I just can't fathom how people think that that's okay. But it is crazy to think though, I mean, those teachers, because that was like well planned. So they obviously had a lot of talk about it to the point where you just feel like in your community that that's, that's okay. Like, I just can't fathom how teachers make that choice.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're at this point where, I mean, I feel like it's great that we saw it. I'm horrified that it happened, but I right. feel like it's really great that you saw it because then it highlights, you know, what is going on in this country that we would not – otherwise see or know, like I live in LA and I also am in a bubble. You know, I'm a part of this Instagram community where we're constantly feeding each other the same type of images, you know, um, of acceptance. And, um, you know, it's Black History Month, but Black History should be all year long, you know. Um, We're very inclusive of the LGBTQI community. We're inclusive of just like all of this stuff and just drawing attention and always trying to drive forward the content and really push this idea of acceptance and diversity and representation. uh, Mm -hmm. And so that it's not gonna be diverse anymore because it'll just be a part of the core um and then it's important though that we're not just in this echo chamber of goodness 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 and you're like oh no 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 but remember there are people yeah. who are pretending to be a wall or you have a person in blackface or you have um people you know attacking an, L- an lgbtq member community um a member who is um shouting like you know, racial or homophobic slurs, um, right. you know, they are these people who are not a part of your, your world, but they exist right. there and they need to be dealt with.
0: Yeah. You know, it's crazy, you know, to think about that too. I mean, cause I, I think, you know, you're, if you're reading the same thing, you're referencing the, the, the governor of Virginia is under fire for a, you know, a picture in college where he was either in blackface or a KKK uniform you know and it's it's just those things like and the fact that there are schools in detroit that they have to get bottled there there are schools in detroit that need bottled water donated just so their kids can drink water and but what do do you think the? i'm so interested what do you think the balance is between like the optimism like that our instagram teacher community has versus like getting the dose like how do you balance that getting doses of reality with but still remaining like you know optimistic and 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 really proud of the profession that we have
1: yeah i don't know i mean i feel like it's a constant battle to and again anytime someone differs from us within right. reason i don't want to say like blackface was ever acceptable but like anytime someone vocalizes a different opinion from our own we always seem to kind of like harp and harp and harp and harp and harp uh, until they're quiet and on them and so that's not really productive because it just teaches them to quietly have their beliefs you know there does need to be discussions like why are you doing that but oftentimes we don't interact with those people, like, if someone at that, I'm really curious about, like, you brought up the wall of those teachers dressing up, you know, I would be really curious if there was someone on that staff who heard this, who intervened and was like, hey, what are you thinking? Like, what is going on? Uh, To see what, you know, if someone had put a pin in it and said, let's pause on this, and let's look at what this will, you know, look like like, like, you know like why are you doing this and why do you think it's acceptable i I would really wonder instead we saw the end result and like you know we you know we're really horrible uh not horrible but we're really like pouncing on it and so i'm just wondering if people are like looking to have a discussion about why are some things this way why are some things that way what is a way without just shutting people down to be like this is horrible and you are horrible for thinking this um versus tell me why you think this and then we can right. try to like, right. come around to to move you but there does seem to be like this hard edge of right. like this is why uh this is it and i see it a lot in, in i mean even on instagram when people are vocalizing uh being like well what about this situation and some people are like no 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 this is this, this is wrong this is it this is the end line i'm so sorry um and so yeah i mean again if you can't handle it, then don't have that discussion. I guess because there is this, idea, you know, like don't have the discussion, don't put it out there. But then it's also not being extremely helpful um, to people. But well, I mean,
0: and, people- and and and, and your, to your point, too. I'm just thinking, and, and you know, I did want to ask you more about you know being a part of the LGBTQ community and teaching in that. But I just with what you're saying, you know, it's it's what you always hear about politics, like an election's not one by moving people who are way out to one side or way out to the other. It's, can you move the people that are in the middle? And like you were, it just brought me back to your point of like, our kids are watching. Yeah. Our kids are watching what we do and how we handle ourselves on the day to day. And, and there's so much, I, I just took an interview for uh for a director's position at a charter school and they asked me, you know, like about the opportunity gap and, and, you know, various population i said to be honest like i'm really just starting to really learn I, I mean i know what that term means but i'm just starting to really learn like what these marginalized groups are going through it and and these type of things to where how how do you i'm trying what's the the right way to i'm trying to think of the right way so how do how do you think we start to just prioritize that conversation about how we move people, whether it's to be more inclusive or it is to really talk about what curriculum should be taught or, or those type of things, because I, I love what you said that, you know, too often we, we have a hard line. So how do we, how do you think we start those conversations?
1: I mean, it probably happens on a teacher to teacher basis first, you know, like every teacher has, some ability to choose their own curriculum within reason, you know? So in my classroom, you know, uh, a part of the canon, we read Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. That is a seventh grade read. And it's about an African-American family going, uh, African-American family during the great depression. It's like the 1930s. They live in the South where there's rampant racism and this african-american family it owns their own farm they own i think about 400 acres half of it mm-hmm. is owned outright and the other half is um they got, they're making payments uh to the bank on it and i could choose to teach this novel from any type of way right. I have some colleagues that have been teaching it for years and they have some beautiful materials and beautiful units because they keep on reinventing over the yeah. years And they're doing things like, um, how much can a dream take to survive? You know, and I think that that is really beautiful. And they take in uh, poetry and they take in, there's some songs about this, about like, can your dream survive? Or what does it take? What kind of person has a dream survived? And that is really amazing. For me, I do a more social justice uh, type of standpoint, uh, where I, you know, we're comparing I. And also, seventh graders, they don't have a lot of, like, American history. So I have to, right. like, bring them right. up to, I take it upon myself to, like, bring them up to speed of being like, well, this is how the, you know, the U.S. came to be. This is what, you know, was done to certain groups of people. This is how people were then made free. This is how people were then, had roadblocks put in front of them purposefully. And then this brings us to where we are now. And so teaching them the history of, African Americans in this, and how white people responded to African American people, you know, trying to attain freedom and equality and all these sorts of things. Then we take a look at modern day stuff of what is going on. So, you know, Jesse—I I don't know how to say his name—Jesse Smollett. Yeah. Uh, just mm-hmm. being attacked in Chicago. Um, he has an interesting, you know, intersectionality of being, a, you know, a black man, but he's also a gay man, and just being like they tied a rope around his neck. What? What? what is the significance of that? Like, because there's lynching mentioned in this book, like, do you see how this relates to that? Um, And just trying to take a look, there's a character, TJ, who is constantly kind of getting into trouble and um, just kind of trying to make people aware of what is going on now in the country. And then at a seventh grade level, they're like 12 or 13 years old, and using the literature to highlight this and some of the bigger things. Several years ago, we had to write an argument essay based upon, is the Confederate, excuse me, is the Confederate flag a symbol of um southern pride in history or is it a symbol of racism and should it you know should it be flown uh last year it was the confederate monuments you know like let's educate you of when we took a look at the timeline of when the confederate monuments went up and it always seems to be when there was some type of black advancement uh that they would shoot up and so are these actually symbols of pride or are they symbols to loom over the african-american community to remind them of where you know, th- their place was in time and that right. some people still think it would be. And so me teaching that and me bringing up examples, like Jesse Smollett, I could bring up so many students. I mean, so many examples of this, right. but I'm choosing to bring up a black gay man. So then again, that brings up right. the idea of like, look at this intersectionality. Um, a lot of white gays get television roles and like these types of things. Um, there are not a lot of people of color um who are part of the lgbtq community there Mm -hmm. if i'm sharing love stories valentine's day is coming up uh making sure that i'm highlighting all types of love stories at an age appropriate you know that's appropriate and just you know like i have this control uh and i'm protected by a union so if parents who have issue with and some in the past have Um, I am protected to do it as long as I'm teaching English and I'm teaching what is important skill wise, I have freedom as an educator. And so if enough teachers do this, and they're in one location, you can, you can redesign the curriculum of an entire school. And as that happens, you know, why? I mean, in California, I don't know if this is Countrywide, but in California, you do have to teach LGBTQ history um, at certain points wow. uh, through it, and so that is a change happening uh, in our state. Um, and so it's slowly changing, and so it's like, and then these kids will grow up and be raised to be a little bit more open-minded and a little bit more open-minded. I mean, yes. I was just having a conversation yesterday about. Um, there was a, not a meme, but a graphic going around being like, your history being a part of your, your history class, and my history being like, if you were an African American, being an elective, that is privilege. Uh, And so, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, dang, yes. And so that idea of incorporating all of this and teaching you know history you know backwards almost like I, greeks and romans are wonderful and i love you know all of this stuff but if mm-hmm. we taught people a little bit more modern about stuff it would build up empathy in the community right. if you tell them mm-hmm. that um you know, the Native Americans and explain what the settlers did to them and what all this happened, then mm-hmm. that's going to build up empathy. So when we see that there are burial grounds being plowed over for pipelines and these types of things, they're right. going to be like, wait a minute. And they're going to have empathy for them. When they see uh, Flint, Michigan, and they're like, wait a minute, the only reason why we don't care is because it's an African-American community, Miss Ronnie. That's the only reason why they're not getting clean water. How long has this been going on? Then it builds up empathy and all of a sudden you're going to have like a wave of children coming up through the system who are then like, we got to do something. We got to do something. And so, Mm. um, and even just the language Uh, I saw today going around on Instagram, there's a lot of things that are highlighting. It's like not slaves, enslaved people.
0: Yeah, I saw so that today like, too.
1: Just like the messaging and the vocabulary and the wording and pointing yeah. out how, you know, what is this and making them realize um, what is taking place. I mean, all of this would just change it and maybe bring us a little closer together um, to then have these conversations that could solve larger problems in the government and in yeah, other communities sure. of acceptance and everything like this.
0: Yeah, you know, and there was a, a an example that I thought of too. I just saw the the movie The Upside with Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston, where like Kevin Hart, uh, you know, works for Brian Cranston, who in the movie is play he plays a a, a quadriplegic. And there was this interesting part. Uh, Trevor Noah talked about it on his show because there were a uh, a paraplegic actor was like not complaining, but was just stating like that was you know, one of the only roles he might have ever really gotten to be a leading man and, and no offense to Brian Cranston, who's a great actor, but like it's examples like that, that just like it open it opens your eyes to like the plight of these people. And I ne- like, it never occurred to me to think that way that that was one of the few roles that that person was ever potentially going to get to really be a leading actor.
1: Yeah yeah it, yeah I mean representation matters and then actually like giving people the opportunity to fulfill the roles that are written for them I yeah. think that recently yeah. Darren Chris at an award show said that he would never play a gay character again yeah, yeah. But, so you know there's this idea that like certain people have to play certain people and it's like no just because they're a big star name doesn't necessarily mean that that is you know what needs to happen and yeah, I mean, there is some limitation uh, in what these people can play um, right. specifically for yours, and so therefore, he should have had that opportunity. Um, and th- there's, there's this all the time with, like, gays, trans. Why do you have um, non-trans people playing trans roles? Yes, right. non-trans people can play trans roles, yeah. but trans people are normally not even given an opportunity to – participate in these films so give them their roles you you give it to them you know and there's been flack for that as well um in other areas i mean and again uh what who was it the actress i forget uh she played in a uh, gosh she's a redheaded actress and she was supposed to be hawaiian oh emma stone yeah emma stone and then you know sandra oh taking a shot at her at the most playfully, uh, at the award show, and just being like, you know, why was Emma Stone the one cast to play this Hawaiian character when there were plenty of Hawaiian people who would have been much more um, suited for this role, at least appearance-wise, and just like the difference that that could have made for a young Hawaiian child, that Hawaiian actor who was fulfilling that role, Um, and Emma Stone was funny in the audio you can hear her in the background going I'm sorry uh when Sandra did crack that joke but even I think Charlize Theron she was in a movie uh and it was supposed to be like a Japanese woman uh Mm -hmm. playing it and it was cast her because she's the bigger name but there you could have cast some different type of actress so it's I mean it's just really interesting to see that there's opportunities for representation that just are not taken
0: man I I think it's really good though like you said that I mean, as for myself, I'm just glad now that I'm starting to be aware of that these things are out there. And, and yeah, you know, like you said, it, it, it's gonna take time. But, you know, the more we as teachers, you know, teach that thing that you said, like that we teach kids that empathy, and they start to, you know, they'll be the ones that start to change and say, hey, this person is deserving of, of this or that, whether it's a movie role, or whether it's just equal representation you know like the thing that was hard for me too is just like all the voter suppression that was going on in this past like midterm all over the country where there were people that were like that were they they were actively trying to not let them vote yeah so but i mean we went through it and now they're starting to hopefully make changes so man i'm looking at my clock and we've been going like an hour plus already okay so I don't, I don't want to take any more of your Saturday afternoon, but I, I, I can say without, without hesitation that we're going to definitely have to have you back because I'm looking at this list of like 11 questions and I don't think I asked you one.
1: I'm a, I'm a talker. I'm sorry. No, it's perfect it, though because that's, it, that's it, my it, favorite part. It's the English teacher in me. I'm like, get me talking. I can do this all the time.
0: No, nah, man. Before we let you go though, if people want to connect with you online and, and be a part of your conversation, where can they find you?
1: Uh, pretty easy right now. I'm just on Instagram. So teacher to teacher. So it's teacher, the word two and then teacher, uh, just randomly spelled, uh, right. super easy. I actually created my Instagram just because I, I was actually kind of oblivious that there was such an Instagram community. Uh, right. and then I logged on. I was like, I'm going to create a teacher account. I wonder if there's anyone else out there. Uh, everyone is out here and they're just doing such amazing things. Crazy. That I just wanted to be like another voice that is just kind of like a regular person that you could like knock on their door and just be like, I need to talk to someone. And I'm like, I'm right here. Perfect. And that's how it came to be. So yeah, they can just teacher to teacher, no underscores, nothing, just teacher to teacher.
0: Oh man. Well, like I said, I, I super appreciate your time in the conversation. and uh, Definitely want to have you back on the podcast soon. Yeah, definitely. Thank you.